0: Om Shanno Mitrasyam Varuñaha Shanno Bhavatvaryama shanna Indra Vruhaspatihe Shanno Vishnururukramaha Namo Brahmane Namaste Vaya Tvameva Pratyakshaṁ Brahmasi त्वमेव प्रत्यक्षं pratyaksham brahm avadishyami, सत्यं बदिश्यामे <coughs> शान्ते 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 हे ओम सहनावववदो सहनो भवन्तु Shantishanti shanti, shanti. Om yes chandasam rushabho vishwaru paha chandobhya dhamrata Asya devadhāraṇo bhūyāsaṁ sharīraṁ me vicharṣaṁ jīkhvāme madhu-mattamāṁ karṇā abhyāṁ bhūri-viśrūvam Brahmanah koshosimidhyāpidah śrutam me gaupāyaṁ OM SHANTE 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 OM AHAM RAKSHASYA RERIVA KIRTEFRASTHANGI RERIVA ORDHA VAJINI VASVAMRDAMASME Dravinagamsavarchasam. Sumedha Amrita Kshidaha Ititra Saṅkhaur Vedānu Vachanam Shānti 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 Om Poornam Adha Poornam Idham Puranasya Purana Madhaya Purana Meva Om Shant 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 Shruti Smriti Purana Nam Namami Bhagavat Pada Shankaram Loka Shankaram shankaram shankaracharyam keshavam vadarayanam sutra bhashya krutau bādarāyanaṁ punah punah ishwara murti bheda vibhagine vyomavat vyapta dehaya Dakshināmūrtaye namaham Akhandam satchidānandam Akhandam satchidānandam Avāṅ manasa gocharam Avāṅ manasa gocharam Ātmāna makhilādhāram Ātmāna bhīshtasiddhaye Asraye bhishta siddhai arthata upyadvayanandan arthata upyadvayanandan atita dvaita bhanadaha atita dvaita bhanadaha guru na vedanta guru na vedanta saram vakshya yathamade Saram In these passages the author showed us the nature of Shravanam. What is meant by Shravanam is when the mind grasps or ascertains the purport of the Upanishads. Additi additi yavastuni tatpaya avadharanam that the purport of the Upanishads is in Advitiya Vastu, in Vastu or the reality of the truth, which is Advitiyam, which is one, without a second, that the self is uh, is not limited, is complete and limitless. And everything is self, everything is Brahman, everything is limitless. And that's what it is, there is nothing else. To reveal this is the purport of Takpadi, the Upanishad. And to see that fact is a product of shavañam. How does the mind see that fact, when it listens, when it listens to the exposition or unfoldment to the statements of the Upanishad? From that unfoldment, how how does it grasp the essence, or how does it grasp the vision of the Upanishad, the tattvaryam, upakramopasamharav? By seeing that in the introduction as well as in summary, the Upanishad always presents the ātmā vāyadamai kevā grāsīr, when Upanishad says, Atma alone was, at the beginning, the whole creation was Atma alone, uh, in the beginning. <coughs> or it was Sat alone, it was Brahma alone. The beginning also is with is, is one principle, the conclusion also is one, in between the many came. So how it is said is, it started with one, without a second, and aitigatma sarvam all of this is one indeed. And in between the teacher shows how the many came about. Uh, Who projected and how it is projected and why it is immaterial? This mechanism doesn't matter at all. In fact, the mechanism should not matter, only the truth should matter. How did it come about is not of any consequence at all. Whether mind projected, Brahman projected, Brahman is immaterial. The point is, what is this Brahman? In the beginning and at the end. And the duality is some show in between. Why is it there? How is it there? Who made it? Is immaterial. Because it's not real. What real is, is Brahma alone. And what does it matter whether the mind projects or mind sees or Brahman sees is immaterial because all the seeing, projecting, everything is, is, is unreal or projection. And therefore, the mechanism doesn't matter at all. In fact, Vedanta does not deal with the mechanism. That's what the scientists deal with. One scientist, you know, one person came to me, he used to, we had several discussions. And the scientist wants to know the mechanism of creation. How did the creation come about? How from the Big Bang or whatever was there in the, you know, in the beginning, how this whole evo- creation evolved? What's the mechanism? What's the process? I said, well, the creation is something similar to the snake being projected upon the rope. Oh, I see. Well, oh, that's wonderful. What is the equation? How the projection, what's the relationship between the rope and the snake? Is there an equation, Swami? I say, if there is an equation, then the snake enjoys the same degree of reality as a rope. Then alone there can be an equation. There is no equation. And it doesn't matter to me. It is, it's is—it's amazing how the mind works. As when Swamiji was telling us, that in the famous temple in the Himalaya, a temple called Badrina, that's the temple of Lord Vishnu, and there is a, a image there, hundreds and thousands of people come there, and this Swami says he was in also in his travel of the Himalayas. Went to the temple and was standing before the Lord and was repeating His name. And that's how was absorbed. And after some time, somebody asked him a question. He sort of uh, drew His attention and asked him a Westerner asked him a question: What is the image made up of? He says, "You know, is it made of wood? What is it?" Swami says, "I don't know. It never." It never occurred to me to find out what it is made up of. As far as am concerned, it is the symbol of law, and that's all it counts to me. Is it made of uh, wood, or is it made of rock, or stone, what is it? So, what the mind wants to know, and where, where it, you know, it's, it's amazing. But this is a problem with the people who always want to find mechanism and processes, and that's most baffling because there is no process. Ultimately, you will find no mechanism. Even the scientists won't be able to find it. Maya is that alone, Mithya. Mithya is that which cannot be categorized. Yes, up to a certain point, the cause and effect chain lasts. So you can explain how everything is from Maya. But what is the relationship that Maya has with Brahman? Or that same relationship that the snake has with the rope? What is that relationship? Is it a mathematical relationship? Can you come, you know, can you uh, You are trying to imagine, so mind always wants to project some kind of a picture. Is immaterial, the mechanism is immaterial or Vedanta doesn't deal with that, knowing that it cannot be dealt with. What is material is? In the beginning there was one. That means what is multiple right now was one alone in the beginning. And when you really see it, even today also it is one alone. That's what the teacher wants to show. The whole universe before this creation was one Brahman without a second. And then some story is being told as to how the projection came about. Don't bother about that story, because every Upanishad tells a different story. Then that Sat or Brahman reflected or deliberated, may I become my... I mean that, you know, it's a story. How did Brahman think... Was there a mind? It, nobody thinks in what mind? The idea is that that step of how the one became many, it's, it's, you know, there's no mechanism there. You cannot connect them. Just to give you some kind of an understanding or explanation, It's all a Brahman thought. Because every creation is always preceded by deliberation. Therefore, they say that there was a deliberation in the beginning of the three. Who deliberated? <coughs> when Brahman is one without a second, where is deliberation? We don't say there is deliberation. But since you see a creation in front of you and you want to understand what it is, therefore we say that there is a deliberation. And who can deliberate then? Brahman alone deliberates because there is none other than that. So if you have to know it, then this will be the answer. Then it's, Brahman deliver Brahman deliberates? Okay. That means there is a mind also that Brahman has. Is mind the same as Brahman or different from Brahman? You go into another whole round. All we have to urge you is not to worry about that, if you can. If you can, you know, uh, disassociate yourself from this mechanism, how? And just focus attention, what is it? This duality, what is it? Aityata atma Dam sarvam. The whole universe has its atma, or the self, essence, only in that, in sat, existence. That's satyam, and that alone is truth. This is not truth, because all of this resolves into that. And dissolving also doesn't have to be a mechanical process, or doesn't have to be a process. It's a matter of seeing how the cloth is nothing but cotton. It is seeing. It's not that you have to do something with a cloth. And that alone is the self of all, and that is you. And that's what counts. So even when it appears to be multiple or multifarious, it is one alone. That is how all the rup, Upanishad has its takparya, has its purport in revealing that, This limitation, strife, struggle, suffering, all of this is not real. This duality is not real. And at the core, all of this is one. And whichever term you want to know, it's all love or beauty, harmony, freedom. That's all there is. In the core, that is what it is. And pay attention to that. Focus attention upon that. That's what they call meditation. Meditation. Don't focus attention on who am I and what is the ego and, you know, that will be endless. You will never come to the end of it. But that, in and through this ego and all this individuality, what is the core, the essence, is that it is one. It is harmony. It is freedom. It is love. It is joy. It is the very best that you can imagine. And more. That's what it is. And see that. To make a see, and when can you see that? Only your mind is away from all the other kind of stuff. As long as anything else matters, so long one doesn't see that. It's not only a matter of questioning; it's a matter of our own life also. It is body matters, the comfort of it matters, my ego matters, my own recognition matters, my uh, you know. Uh, whole, it, as long as these things matter, so long the mind is always focused upon that. That's why they talk of dispassion. Dispassion is is this that the body, and my mind, and this individuality, this ego, discomfort, discomfort, pleasure, pain, honor, dishonor, that's all samsara, and the mind as long as it keeps on dwelling on that so long it can never get out of that. that's called maya, that it's hell into that, and therefore to come, to grow out of the, the concerns for all of this, then alone the mind can see what is, <coughs> and that is all the Upanishad all the time points out again and again and that's called abhyasa That student doesn't see it again. Doesn't see it again. And that's all that the Upanishad is committed to is to reveal and make the student see this truth. Tatvamasi, Tattvamasi, Tattvamasi. Or different Upanishads may have different expressions. <coughs> so thus when we listen to the enfoldment of the Upanishad, we can see that Upanishad does not have its period, does not have it per, its perfor in trying to explain the creation, or trying to use some mechanism of how the creation came about, or trying to give any scientific explanation of creation. Is five elements, Swami? That's all ridiculous. There are five elements. Hey, that's a model. A model is presented in order where we can settle account with it. Okay, yeah, I can see what it is and, and what is its degree of reality. So what the Upanishad seeks to reveal is that the degree of reality of a creation, and therefore also the one who is asking the question, by the way, you know, when I ask you, who did it, but the question is also has the same degree of reality. That it's all, that is why we said mitya is unreal or uh, relatively real. And all the ultimately what it is, is nothing but that one without a second. And these are all words. One also is a word, and second also is a word, and everything is a word. Ultimately the mind has to, as in case of every word, whenever we listen to a word, the word ultimately drops off and leaves its meaning in that place. And all these words have to ultimately drop off and, and make us see the meaning. <coughs> and it is true that... Every mind has its own orientation and therefore for us to have the orientation of it takes time. That's the reason why the need for exposure again and again. Because the mind has its own, you know, it has grown in a certain way. It has been exposed to certain other teachings and it has done so much reading and all kinds of things that it has done naturally. It has to do. And there were so many patterns are fixed. So many ideas are fixed, so many terms and expressions which we have been, you know, which we have been cherishing. All of them are there, and therefore we are often wedded to our own uh, understandings or our own um, concepts, our own terms or our own expressions, because somebody impressed me or somebody fascinated me. So whatever terms and expressions are used by that person, I try to see that here also. And everyone try, everybody tries to interpret this. The teaching also in their own way, because everybody has a certain framework within their own mind. In that framework they try to fit this. So very well, Upanishad is one word, uh-huh, but it means that, isn't it? And therefore I connected with some science or some psychology or some such stuff, with which I am familiar. And so it takes time before we slowly and slowly become free from those other orientations and orient ourselves, our mind gets oriented towards seeing the things the way the Upanishad sees. And that is a process. That is why, Paunaf of Purnina, Sarvan, Kuryat, we have to expose ourselves again and again and again to this hearing, to the contemplation, and there is no end. It's not one-year or a two-year project, but I've done enough, now I've, I've held on enough, it is never enough. Whether you hear or whether you contemplate, but an exposure to this in one way or the other, constantly, is an absolute requirement. Any teaching, then alone you can see, it's seeing what is there. If, it is there to, if there is something to be created, if there is something to be accomplished, well it could be, you can perhaps say that it takes so long, but it is seeing what is. And therefore the mind has to come to the mode of seeing, just as I see a flower or I see anything. And so also when the mind sees the truth, meaning of these words, <coughs> that is the result of what you call shravanam, tatparya avadharanam, ascertainment of the tatparya or the purport of the scriptures. <coughs> and our mind sees in this manner, upakrama, upasamhara, introduction and conclusion, repetition. And what is, what is the uniqueness? What's the reasoning? What's the logic? So our mind automatically looks for these signs and thus the mind comes to or gets the takpariya. That is the shravanam. (coughs) The next is explained here, the mananam. That's the passage, 191, on the page 108. Mananam to... Mananantu Shrutasya अद्वितीय Adviti Yavastunaha Adviti Yavastunaha Vedantanuguna Anavaratam Anuchintanam Mananam, too, reflection or mananam, however, is anavaratam anuchintanam. Anavaratam, constant. Anuchintanam, chintanam anuchintanam. Chintanam, reflection. Anuchintanam, reflection in keeping with something. So mananam or reflection, is not just any kind of thinking or any kind of a deliberation or any kind of a reflection, but reflection in keeping with the teaching. That is why mananam or reflection follows shravanam. It says chintanam. Anu means in keeping with. Chintanam, reflection. Reflection in keeping with what? Reflection in keeping with what is unfolded in shravanam or the tatpari avadharam. The tatpari, the purport has been ascertained, and a reflection in keeping with the ascertained purport. Reflection in keeping with the vision that is unfolded by the scriptures. So not just some independent kind of a thinking, but then thinking which is centered around the vision or the truth which is unfolded by the scriptures, which one has listened to from the teacher. So whatever I listen to from the teacher, and whatever I understand, getting a clarity about that, because there can be various doubts in my mind, and to clear those doubts, that requires again a reasoning. Because the mind or the intellect always wants to understand things with reasoning. And therefore, chintanam, with the help of yukti bhi, so it says, yukti bhi. yukti means the argument. Yukti also means, it's, you know, yukti here means argument. With the help of argument, with the help of reasoning, anavaratam anuchintanam, a constant reflection with the help of reasoning is mananam. What kind of reasoning do you employ? Vedanta anuguna. Anuguna means agreeable. Vedanta anuguna, agreeable to Vedanta. So reasoning which is in keeping with the vision unfolded by the Vedanta and reasoning which reasoning or the arguments were conducive to the teaching of Vedanta. And this is very important. So Purusha Vedanta vishesham that it is not merely the reasoning that one adopts which is Sometimes it is even, um, uh, uh, it, it, it's even opposed to. <clears throat> so, sometimes people employ reasoning which are also antagonistic to what the scriptures reveal. And so, it says, no, reasoning in keeping with what the scripture reveals. This is a very, very important thing here. And why do they say that? Is it in order to rob us of our freedom of thinking? No. But, reasoning in keeping with the scriptures means, reasoning which is employed in order to understand what the scriptures say, rather than questioning what the scriptures say. In the sense that, in Shravanam, while listening to the teacher, while listening to the unfoldment, of course enough reasoning is provided for me to see what the scripture says. And then what I have understood? That very same understanding... When it is translated with reference to the rest of the aspects of my life, because the Upanishad unfolds a vision in a certain framework with certain illustrations, and I can I can understand that. That very same understanding has to ultimately pervade my entire range of thinking. What I understand with the reference to the story of the tenth man whole story of uh, rope, and all the example of rope and snake, whatever these things are understood, or I understand in in reference to my own self, then that same understanding has to pervade my entire process of thinking. For example, as we say, uh, that likes and dislikes, so what is like is uh, my dependence upon something, my attachment to something, and dislike is aversion for that. So then... To to see this fact that in my mind, when a certain thought arises, is called attachment; some other thought is called, uh, you know, uh, aversion. To be able to see those, that thing will require what we call reflection or mananam, meaning whatever we understand, in order to get a clarity of that understanding, so that it becomes my knowledge. It no more remains a knowledge, which is confined to understanding a given situation, but then. It becomes my knowledge in every situation when the mind when it is focused can clearly see what the vision of the Upanishad is in every given different situation. So that is the task that is account uh, that is what is accomplished as a result of mananam. So vakyart paksha, Sudisharaf pakshas samasriatam. Dustarka dustarkat Shruti-matas-tarakonu-sandhiyatam Explaining this process of mananam, Shankarajara says in a text called Sadharapanchakam, vakyarcasca vicharitam Having listened to the unfoldment of statements of Upanishads from the teacher, vicharitam may you now reflect upon that? And may you also get, may you also resolve all your doubts that may arise? And for that, what kind of reasoning would you employ? Shruti-shara-pakshas-samashriyatam May you samasriyata, may you take the refuge of, or may you adopt, the Paksha or the position of the Upanishad. tarka, may you desist from dus tarqa, or antagonistic, antagonistic reasoning. Shruti matas tarko may you adopt the tarka or the reasoning, which is in keeping with, or which is in agreement with the shruti. The idea is not to discourage independent thinking. But to channelize or guide the thinking. The truth is one. So thinking can proceed two ways. I see the duality, I experience duality. How can there be non-dual? This is one way of thinking. And you try to arrive at the non-duality from your experience of duality and try to jump that step. How can it be? How can the dual, how can the duality ultimately, how can there be non-dual when I experience only duality? How can there be limitlessness when I experience all the limitations? And so to arrive at the non-dual from the duality is one way, but that's not the way of the Upanishad. Upanishad says there is one non-dual. And then you ask the question, how can there be duality? Upanishad says that I am limitless. Ask the question, how am I limited? To take for granted that I am limited and then to ask the question, how can I be limitless is one thing or to take for granted that the world or duality that I experience and then seek to understand how can it be non-dual it is the other way around take for granted that you are limitless and then ask the question how can I be limited or take for granted that Brahman is one non-dual and then ask the question how can there be duality then it will be easy you see that the duality or sense of limitation is not real why the, how did it come about immaterial. When did it come about? Again immaterial. Because the mind can go revolve in these questions, why? And mind can revolve in the question when? In mithya, in projection, there is no why and there is no when. Even in this example of projection of a snake upon the rope, many thinkers have tried to arrive at the mechanism. How do you see a snake where there is a rope? How do you see silver where there is only mother of fall? And various explanations have been provided. Somebody says that here silver is there, therefore you see. Somebody says the silver is someplace else and that you are seeing here. Somebody says silver is in your mind and that you are seeing outside. These explanations are given. Vedantins say that there is no explanation for that. Anirvachaniyam. Because no explanation is going to be satisfactory. Anirvachaniyam. That silver has some kind of it. We don't say the silver is not there. We don't say that it is there also. It has some kind of reality which cannot be categorized. And ultimately, from the st- when you come to know what it is, then we find that the silver is not there at all. Until you see the truth, the silver maintain retains some kind of reality. When you see the truth, you find that silver is not there at all. But then, If you try to arrive at the mother of pearl or shell from the silver, you can never, because there is no relationship the silver has with the shell. That this is shell, how can it be silver? Then you find that it is silver, is a delusion, or is an appearance. And thus to see that the duality or a sense of limitation or jivatma or samsara is an appearance, start from how the Upanishad starts, that there is Brahman, there is oneness, there is fullness, there is harmony. Why do I see chaos? Chaos is a projection of the mind. Disharmony is a projection of the mind. <coughs> and thus, when we adopt the process of thinking, the kind of process that the Upanishad presents to us, then we shall be able to see what the Upanishad wants us to see. And that is called anugona yukti. Anuguna yukti means the yukti arguments which are agreeable to or in keeping with the the unfoldment of Upanishad. Shrutasya advitiyavastu naha. The advitiyavastu or the truth which is vadvitiyam non dual. Shrutasya which I have heard, meaning which I have listened to, or about which the ascertainment has occurred in my mind. Then anavartam, anusintaram, constantly reflecting upon that from different standpoints. Constantly reflecting upon them with reference to different situations and resolving all the doubts or resolving any vagueness, or lack of clarity, making that knowledge clear. So what I have understood, making it clear. This is called mananam. We understand all right, but sometimes we don't necessarily understand it in different contexts. For example, this boy in India, he was delivering milk, you know, every day. At the end of the month, he came to settle the account. His father sent him. That. Please ask Swamiji to make us payment for the one month supply of milk. Okay. So the total amount was 120 rupees. And I gave him 24 bills of 5 rupees each. So that makes 120. And I asked him. I said, you count before you go and make sure that it is, you, you have the right amount of money with you. So he started, come 5, 10, 15. 20, 25. I said, haven't you learned the, the uh, multiplication tables? He says, I have learned. I said, have you learned 24 times 5? And he says, yeah, I have learned that. What is that? 120. Then I said, what is this? Why is it 5, 10, 15? Why don't you count 24 times 5? You know? He, he had 5 bills, 5 rupee five bills, 24 bills. What he should have done is, he should have counted how many bills are there? 24 and multiply that by 5, and arrive at 120. Instead of that, he says 5, and then second bill 10, and 15, and 20, and 25. So he could not see the fact that what he has learned in the multiplication table, that 24 times 5 is 120, that is here. That each one is a 5 rupee bill, and there are 24 bills, and therefore the total amount is 24 times 5. That thing he could not see. Understanding, here yes, that twenty-four times five is one-twenty, but that, this is also the same twenty-four times five that he could not see. And thus, whatever we know has to really become practical. And thus, when it becomes clear in every situation, that is what we call the product of manam. then the knowledge is clearer. So, it becomes a clear knowledge without any doubts or without any vagueness. That is what mananam. So whatever we understood, understood the truth, non-violence, see what is truth in a given situation, what is non-violence in a given situation, what is likes and dislikes, what is freedom in every situation, that would be the product of mananam. So anavaratam, anuchintanam and a constant thinking, they say that a total commitment to this, after shravanam constantly one is uh, devoted to making it clear and devoid one's understanding of all vagueness and doubts. <coughs> that is called mananam. It is supposed to be an anga, or a something that supports a shravanam. So according to this, shravanam is the primary means of knowledge. Shravanam, or listening, or vichara or inquiry, listening from the teacher is the primary means of knowledge. Knowledge can only be gained by shravanam. There also there are certain debates as to how can you how can the words ever reveal the truth as to occur in some meditation and stuff like that, you know. So some people believe that you are listening from the teacher, and the words of the teacher are after all words, and words can only create an indirect knowledge. Words cannot create a direct or immediate knowledge. Words can only give paroksha jnana, indirect knowledge. Just as when I describe. Something which is in India, and I described to you, you can get some kind of a knowledge. But that is not a direct knowledge, it is an indirect knowledge. Only when you go there, that it will become direct knowledge. And so, words can only give us indirect knowledge. So, also the words of Upanishad only can give us indirect knowledge. Then we have to see it. And how do you see? By meditation, etc. So, there were in many places you hear this. That, okay, go and meditate now. You heard enough, now go and meditate. As though the truth has to be revealed in the meditation process. Now, in fact, this is meditation. What is else is meditation? There's another hang-up about meditation. As far as this, the hearing is concerned, when we're listening to the teacher, there is meditation, and one sees the truth. When there is a tuning up, one sees the truth. In even while listening to the teacher, so aparokṣa jnana or the immediate knowledge should take place in Shravanam itself. And then I dwell upon that very knowledge and make it clear with reference to doubts or vagueness. And so, Shrutasya Advitiya Vastunaham. That knowledge of the advitiya Vastu that is gained in Shravanam, then to make it free from any doubts and vagueness is called Mananam with the help of reasoning because all the doubts have arisen from reasoning. And therefore, proper reasoning alone can eliminate them so there are certain things which are there because we have been taking giving reality to the duality we have been giving reality to our sense of limitation and therefore intellect has made lots of conclusions because of some process of reasoning and to expose the intellect to a proper process of reasoning will enable us the intellect to be able to undo or become again free from from various conclusions that it has drawn. So mind has drawn many conclusions based on some reasoning of its own and exposing the mind to the proper reasoning will release the mind from the conclusions drawn from those kind of reasonings and that is how mind clearly sees. (coughs) So anavartam, anuchintanam, reflection is the constant thinking with the help of the reasoning in keeping with Upanishad upon the shoes that we have learned from in Shravanam. And next step, which is called niridhyasana, which is loosely translated as meditation. So meditation is a word which is used for many things. So niridhyasana is a very often, as we say, it's a technical word. And therefore the translated word meditation doesn't really reveal what niridhyasana means, and therefore the word nididihasana must be understood for what it means. That's why the definitions are given here. The next passage explains nididihasanam. Vijay. Vijayatiya Dehadi. Advitiya Vastu Sajatiya. Pratyaya Pravaha nididhyasanam. Nididhyasanam, What is known as nididhyasanam is Sajadhyaya Pratyaya Pravaha Pravaha A flow Pratyaya The thought Sajadhyaya Of the same kind Sajātīya pratyaya pravaha, a stream of thoughts of the same kind, meaning the same thought occurring again and again and again. This is called meditation. What is meditation is nothing but the same thought repeating again and again and again for a period of time. This is called meditation. Therefore, dhyasana also is translated as meditation because this aspect is, is the same Sajātīya pratyaya pravāha. Pravāha means a flow or a stream of Sajātīya pratyya, or a stream of the thoughts of the same kind, or the same thought being repeated in a, in stream. So that is, that is why it is called meditation. Like the oil being poured from one vessel to another vessel, or like the river flowing, and so also when the mind maintains that kind of a thought flow, same thought flow flowing for a period of time, Except what separates Nididhyasanam from Dhyanam or other meditation is, what is the content of that thought? It is the content of the thought, or the object of the thought which distinguishes Nididhyasanam from other forms of meditation. It says, vastu sajadiya pravaha. The content of the thought is vastu, The vastu of the truth is Advidhiyya, which is non developed Meaning now what I am deliberate what I am thinking about or what I am meditating upon is not something other than myself, it is a self. So the meditator and what is meditated upon are not two separate entities. So when the meditator is different from the meditated upon, so when the meditator is separate from the object of meditation, when that duality is there, when I am meditating upon or thinking upon is something different from myself, Then that would be called meditation in the conventional way. In conventional meditation, what I meditate upon is different from me. And that meditation takes place with the help of, in different traditions it may be performed differently. But in the tradition, in the Vedic tradition or in the Hindu tradition, meditation may be performed with the help of an aid, like an image, like a mantra, like a symbol or like an idea. And so, with the aid of something, you meditate and maintain the same thought flow. It can be a sound symbol. It can be a mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, it can be Om, Om, Om. Same thing being repeated. And that would be called meditation. In this case, what is repeated is not a sound, or not an image, or not something. But Vastu, it is meditation focused upon the self, and not focused upon something other than myself. That is what distinguishes Nididhyasana from Dhyanam or other forms of meditation here, that the meditation is focused upon the the, the object of thought is nothing but the very self. So, Advitiya sajatiya Vastu Pratyapravaha Nididhyasana A stream of thoughts of the same kind in which the content of thought is Vastu or Brahman, which is the same as self, the non-dual. This is called dhidhyasana. Now, what is called meditation is when this thought flow is maintained for a period of time, unbroken thought flow. That's why he said, vijatiya dehāvi pratyya rahita, which is uninterrupted by other kind of thoughts or thoughts of different class. So when there is maintained a flow of thought, of advitiya vastu or brahman, which is the self, uninterrupted by other kind of thoughts like body, that I am the body, or I am the ego, or I am the doer, or I am so and so. So these kind of thoughts, when they interrupt, then the thought chain is broken. So when one is able to maintain an uninterrupted stream of thoughts, centered upon the self and not interrupted by the thoughts of (coughs) non-self, usually the thought about the self is constantly flowing in our mind. But sometimes the body is a self. Sometimes the mind is a self. Sometimes the ego is a self. So therefore, the self keeps on changing. And when the self is Brahman, uninterrupted by those other kinds of thoughts, that would be called niridhyasaram. When there is that thought flow is maintained, for a period of time. shastra even gives you the measure of time. The steps are dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. In the eightfold steps, which we will discuss subsequently, see, dharana means concentration, dhyana means meditation, and samadhi means absorption. That's the reason why this author adds has one step called samadhi. After nididhyasana, which is comparable to dhyana or meditation, he adds one step called Samadhi absorption, effortlessness. The idea is that a certain effort is involved in, in meditation. And when that effort goes away, then that very meditation then resolves, or meditation culminates into what is known as Samadhi, or an effortless maintenance of that same thought. <coughs> so here anyway, Advidhya vastu sajatiya pratyaya pravaha niridhyasaram niridhyasaram or meditation upon the self is when the mind maintains the same thought flow for a period of time uninterrupted by these thoughts which are uh, based on the non-self. Like, I am the body. Like, I am the man. Like, I am happy. Like, I am unhappy. Like, I am doer. Like, whatever. So these are the thoughts centered upon the non-self. And they will keep on interrupting. Meditation means that the mind has a tendency to go out. Mind has a tendency to get distracted from its focus of attention. Only because there has been a habitual error. The purpose of mananam or reflection is to resolve, release the mind from the doubts. And the third obstacle is what we call the habitual error. So they look, they, they identify three obstacles to the knowledge. One is the avaranam or ignorance. Second is samshaya or doubt. And third is viparyaya or the the habitual error. So by shravanam, we remove the first obstacle called agnyanam or avaranam or ignorance. By mananam, the second obstacle namely doubts and vagueness are released with the help of the reasoning. And so the knowledge which has become now clear with the help of Shravanam and Mananam, still is, has one obstacle, that that knowledge should become abiding knowledge or spontaneous knowledge. When you remember I am Brahma, that's one thing. But without having an attempt to remember, when you abide in that knowledge, that is called, what we call the spontaneous or abiding knowledge. So that should become abiding knowledge. And what is it that becomes an obstacle to that abiding knowledge? The old habitual error of taking this body and the mind, etc., to be self. So these ideas that I am a man, or I am an individual, I am so and so, these ideas have been so firmly rooted, that now I know that those ideas are false, but still because of their habit, because of their habit, because habitually they are firmly rooted, again and again they take hold of my mind. And again and again they distract me, from my conviction, I am Brahman. You know the story of a beggar who turned into a wealthy person overnight because he won some big lottery. And he, he just was turned into a rich man overnight. And now, in no time, he had a big house and a chauffeur driven car and stuff like that. He's now rich. But for the whole life he had been beggar. And therefore, I'm a beggar, I'm a beggar. That idea has been so deeply rooted that it takes him some time to own up this richness. So that he still remains a beggar often, even when he is sitting in his car, in his software-driven car, you know, a limousine maybe. And then also when he uh, when he's given a ride, and when he sees some people in India, as you might see sometimes, you know, somebody distributing something to the beggar, somebody sees, immediately mind wants to go and get it, you know. He forgets that he is a rich man. So, and then when it comes to spending money, etc., he can't spend because that richness has not gone into his heart, so he cannot part with money. His old habits don't go. Like they tell us a story of this, this woman, who was a fisherwoman, and her job was to carry the fish from the uh, place where the fishing was done to her home, and from home to the market, and then sell the fish in the market and come home in the evening. So she always carried fish, and fish has an amazing, you know, smell. I mean, some people like it; some people think it is, you know, uh, it is stinking, and so they can't stand it. So this fisherwoman was once returning from the marketplace, and on the way it started raining very heavily, and therefore she, there was no way that she could proceed. Things were flooded, and she needed a shelter, and. Somebody was very kind to her to give her a shelter. And that was a florist. That was a florist flower shop and that man gave her a shelter. So okay, you come inside and sleep here. And leave your fishes carried in a big basket, cane basket. So leave that outside. And then you come and sleep inside. And this woman, and then inside was all fragrant flowers and things, you know. This woman tried to sleep in there, she could not sleep. For several hours, ultimately, you know what she had to do? Uh, She went out, got a big basket, stinking with fish, that she brought in, and placed it under her head, and then she could sleep, you know, in that smell, because she could not sleep in the smell of flowers. So this is how our mind has become so rooted in its old things, that again and again those things come and take hold of us. The clarity comes, it goes away. Like this... Like the moss which is covering the surface of water, inside is crystal clear water, and you remove the moss and it is very clear, and again the moss comes back, and similarly also those habits come back again and again. Of course old notions come back again and again, and here the habit that we are talking about is what we call Dehatma Buddhi, or the habitual identification of the body. And this has been going on from the time beginningless, where the body alone has been taken to be the self. Mind alone has been taken to be the self. And now I know that I am not the body, the mind and body I am not. And still, the whatever unresolved things are there, or whatever habits are there, that same old thing gets invoked when perhaps I am hurt or insulted or what it is. Then again that vision gets momentarily displaced by my old habitual error of taking myself to an ego or an individual. And therefore, this also is a process. So, shravanam, learning is a process, takes its time. Mananam, getting clarity is another process. And thirdly, getting an abundance of knowledge also becomes a third process. Inasmuch as... To overcome that habitual error requires alertness. So main aspect of Nididhyasana is alertness. That by alertness alone we can really assimilate and own up the knowledge. It is necessary that the knowledge should be owned up. It's one thing to know, Satyamaya jayate, truth alone wins. And I know it, I am convinced about it, and I have resolved also to speak truth. Except that when the right time comes and by my, because in the old, in the past perhaps I I was habituated sometimes to tell a lie, that habitual error comes. I know that I should not get angry, and thus I have great value for becoming free from anger, and still sometimes I find myself angry. That's the habitual error. Not that I want to be, I find myself. So this is what we call the impulsive behavior or the habitual behavior. And it calls for alertness. If I'm alert about my thought processes, alert about my responses, alert about my my clarity and understanding of myself, that alertness is required, so that again and again I keep on asserting this truth, again and again, constantly, so that these samskaras, these samskaras, or this habit becomes stronger and stronger. And the old habit of taking the body as myself, then is overcome by this new uh, samskara, or this new I mean this uh, yeah new samskara, the new impressions. When they replace old impressions, until then this nididhyasana, or constant alert asserting of the nature of the self, has to be practiced. So nididhyasana also becomes practice. Mananam also is practice. Sharvanam also is practice. So saravanam mananam niridhyasana are practices or sadhanas. The purpose of shravana, as you said, is to become free from ignorance. The purpose of mananam is to become free from the doubts and vagueness. And purpose of niridhyasana is to become free from the habitual error, to gain an abidance in knowledge. Says Lord Krishna, ātmasam sammanah kratva When the mind abides in the self, then you don't think further let it abide there yato yato manas chanchalam astiram if you find the mind being distracted from the focus of attention for whatever reason the mind is distracted bring the mind back so this calls for abhyasa and vairagya abhyasa the repeated practice a Rep- practice of repetition and vairāgya is dispassion. Dispassion towards that where the mind is distracted and bringing the mind back to its focus of attention. This practice of meditation has to be practiced again and again until there is no need to do the practice, until the mind becomes abiding. This is, that is what we call sthita or a man of abiding wisdom. And that abiding Assimilated wisdom. So wisdom or the knowledge has to be assimilated. Has to be owned up. And when it becomes owned up, abiding. That is the one then gains abidance and knowledge. So this is Nididhyasana. And that process of abiding knowledge, or the spontaneous knowledge, the state of spontaneity or abiding is called samadhi here. The Nididhyasana or meditation is a practice. And when done for long enough time, Then there is no need for practice. Then the mind abides in the knowledge that abidance is called Samadhi. And that is what he discusses in the next passages. I think we'll discuss that tomorrow. Om Pūraṇamada Pūraṇamidam Pūraṇamudachyade Puranasya Purana Madhaya Purana Meva Vashesya Dev Om Shanteshanteshanthi Shankaram Shankaracharyam Kesavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyatruta Vande Murti-bheda-vibhāgine vyomavad-vyāpta-dehāya dakṣinā-murtaye-namaha Om śānte hari Om śrī-gurubhyo-namaha hari Om